0: This is the John Oakley Show podcast. minister was saying today he was imploring people to use the COVID alert app over 600 positive cases in ontario who use the app that's not a heck of a lot when you've got 2.9 million downloads so he'd like to see that expanded in fact he says he's going to speak with patrick brown uh or he has today the mayor in peel one of the hot spots and with john Torrey yesterday so we'll have to see uh and ontario has hired 500 more contact tracers but in the case of the data, I mean, when I talk about the broader context, that's uh, and somebody was warning us last week that this is already firm and fixed, that there are repercussions to lockdowns, and those include uh, increases in alcoholism, drug use, uh, mm-hmm. domestic violence, and so on and so forth. That never seems to enter the realm of the explanation from the health authorities here. It seems like Doug was suggesting or intimating that today, Today, at least, but other than that, it's always been about cases, 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 and cases alone. Adrian, don't tell you a broader story, do they?
1: No, they don't. And I think, in part, we in the media are responsible for that because we're so fixated on on um, Christine Elliott's Twitter account every morning at ten thirty a.m. And when we when we tweet that number out, it's six twenty-five, it's six seventy-five, it's it's seven eighty. It's we we are so fixated on that number, but the number needs context. Not dissimilar to what we talked about last week. Um, You know, we we saw that huge number when we jumped past 700. Everyone sort of gasped and thought, okay, here we go again. We're going back to phase two. They're going to lock us down again. All these things are, um, all these issues are coming back up. But what people need to understand is we are conducting three and a half times as many as tests as we were at our high water mark, which was in April, which we had over 600 uh, positive uh, results. And so now today, we're doing, for example, 40,000. So that context absolutely matters. But the other aspect that we are also looking at is all of the surgeries that have been cancelled, the procedures that haven't taken place, breast cancer, all types of cancers, um, colon cancer, hip surgeries, all of those other broader issues and long-term consequences that an individual has to deal with because they haven't been able to get the treatment, and not the least of which, and this is World uh, Mental Health Week. not the least of which is those that are suffering from mental health issues um, and all the things that come with being isolated along with that. So, yeah, there are bigger consequences than than the economy. There are our individual health, our mental health, and frankly, um, you know, our, our long-term socialization and those issues. So these are all things that um, those that want to shut us down again um, don't seem to either. I I don't think that they don't care about it, John. I just don't think that they seem to, um, you know, put that into their calculus when they're saying, shut it, uh, go back to phase two. They also need to get get through the numbers and the the obscene amount of backlog. It's great that we're saying we're testing 40,000, 50,000 a day, but the backlogs of processing those Yeah have created an entire uh, discombobulation of, of a number of people's lives and aren't giving us accurate sets of data. Exactly. Like, just well, like we've seen the Toronto Public Health, like some of the data that's been included in the recent batch of numbers, um, you know, has been put with a caveat that, oh, uh, after an audit from the spring, you know, this number includes this number. So, again, Kim, we, M- Kim and I have been railing against their lack of or, or, or their poor communications on this from the beginning. We saw a tweet over the weekend from Dr. Tam, Canada's um, Dr. Tam. It was the most odd bizarre tweet that made absolutely no sense to anybody um and again it's just the uneven nature of uh an inconsistent uh, nature of the information that is being given to us there's only so much we can absorb
0: topics worthy of discussion for pizzaville dial pound 3636 you can pre-order prepay so there's contactless delivery downloading the pizzaville app or at pizzaville.ca might even do that for thanksgiving if you don't want to defrost and uh, do the bird so there you go pizza bill always a great idea the pilgrims wish they would have thought of it Uh, by the way with Alyssa Freeman Kevin cadet let me ask you guys uh, Alyssa I'll start with you are you clear on Thanksgiving plans because now uh, we hear the Ford government recommending limiting uh, people personnel to your own household ten indoors 25 outdoors but you know say your daughter comes home from college and she's got a new boyfriend is he part of the household
2: well, he's not new, so yeah, he would be. But if he oh. was, then I would want them to, him to get tested.
0: Oh. oh, on so many fronts. Oh, oh. Hey, hey, Kev, I mean, I, I, are the rules for Thanksgiving clear in your household? Do you think it's been well communicated?
2: You know, when his parents... And-
0: All right, hang on. I'm I'm losing Kevin here. I was just wondering how, Kevin. uh, Look, I don't think the
3: government is very clear on the rules, but that's in part because I don't think the government ought to be that specific about them. Anyhow, I I love the Premier's comments yesterday when he suggested something along the lines of he trusts people to use their good judgment. Um, You know, I know my family will be making careful, responsible decisions, but like you mentioned, I have a daughter at college, a son at university, and they're coming home and uh i'm not exactly clear if it breaks the rules or not i don't give a damn And if the cops want to come and get me they're welcome to come and show up
0: wow uh there you go i
2: don't don't think that's what that is i think that's if you decide to invite friends plus your kids plus you know auntie becky that you haven't seen in a while i think that people that that i've been talking to are super clear about that they're not having a big thanksgiving this year and it's really just immediate family
0: There are no wishbones in jail, Kev. Uh, Anyway, that being said, (laughs) Alyssa, responsible, irresponsible. Kev, used the word responsible. Uh, Trump, coming out of the Walter Reed Hospital yesterday, suggesting people not let the virus control their lives. Oh, you're not impressed by that?
2: Irresponsible, standing there, taking off his mask, and then, you know, everybody's reading into every, you know, minute gesture of his. But I'll be honest, I didn't think he looked that great. I thought that he was... (laughs) you know, uh, breathing heavier than usual. And I think that telling people that, you know what, just live with it. Don't let it dominate your life. Well, you know, he had, you know, the best care available. He's got 24-hour care. Not that most Americans have that privilege. But to say that we just need to live with this like the flu, I don't know. I think that people are now just sick and tired of that rhetoric. And I don't know about his base. I think his base will always believe him. But honestly, 110% irresponsible.
0: How do you see it kev
3: uh, i I disagree with Alyssa. Um, he, the, the he's, he's part of the United, president of the United States they call it the leader of the free world it, no matter what it is it's a pretty damn important position he's whatever the whatever whatever the timelines are now twenty seven days away from an election I mean he's got to get back on the campaign trail and and he's making his own choices. I like the message that people shouldn't um, live in fear that we need to recognize there's a new normal and live with it. Um, So the the rhetoric I'm sick of is the hysteria hysteria of we need to lock down, we need to be afraid forever um, uh, about everything. I mean, to me, it's just not workable or reasonable. Now, does he do it in a a bombastic manner? Yes. Um, Could he do it better? Yes. Yes. But he went back to the White House, and he took his mask off because he's sending messages, and he's in a little political campaign. I think the usual haters are going to hate everything he does, no matter what the hell it is.
2: I disagree, honestly. You know what, Kevin, he goes back to the White House. All these people, when he did his little tour from Walter Reed for, you know, 10 minutes in a car, you know, he puts uh, his driver in there, plus two other Secret Service, thereby uh, obviously they, they need to be quarantined. You keep seeing more and more people of the of the West Wing in the White House that now need to be quarantined. Uh, going Knowing that he was experiencing symptoms and going to fundraisers where there were people over 60 over 65 and over 70 there irresponsible I, I you know this is a country that has more than 200,000 deaths it's a much different situation uh, there than it here is here in Canada I feel and I feel could have shown uh, just a a little bit more humility and respect for the disease.
0: Ernie, i got to ask you, I mean, as the one-time premier in the province, and uh, you know, everybody has their own style of governance, but uh, I was reading with interest, Peace in a Star, where I guess one of their uh, people, their columnist, was doing uh, a town hall meeting at Ryerson University the other day, and uh, Doug Ford was the person, uh, you know, the honoree, and in uh, his case, he admitted that He's going to change his style of governance, and uh, he's not going to roll back to a previous incarnation, however one might have perceived that. He says, this is the way it's going to be. I'm going to be this way moving forward. Not going to roll back with Christian Freeland and other premiers and municipal leaders. He says, we're like a tag team. I like this type of governing. I like the collaboration, working together, and again, putting politics aside. I can tell you, he says, I bounce it off others. I'm a consensus builder. I'm going to bounce it off 50 people before we make a decision in all different areas and of all different political stripes to make sure that we make the best possible decision that we feel we can make, especially with this pandemic. So it's a decentralized approach. Now, is that practical to do? Do you think that has sustainability? He's a changed man moving forward. What do you, how do you assess that?
4: Well, I think uh, Premier Davis did that fairly effectively for about 14 years. I mean, you can't do it on every issue. There are some issues when the government is elected, then you have a serious issue or an important issue that you want to deal with. And I think you have to do what you think is best. But I don't see any harm in being as collaborative as as possible on, on the overwhelming majority of issues. I think it makes for good governance. I don't see it as a sign of weakness. I know there are others who disagree and who have a different approach to governing. Um, but I think it's worked for, it, it can work fairly effectively, and I think it, it involves people. I think that uh, Doug has really grown into the job. He, you know, this whole pandemic thing was thrust upon him, and I think he's responded very admirably. I think during his initial few months in office, uh, there were all kinds of issues. I think the government was trying to be run like a business, which is not. Uh, hope Donald Trump's listening. Um, <laughs> but uh, and wouldn't I be think,
0: Wednesday without a dig, right, Ernie? <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead.
4: And I, that's and how I, I realized what I, day I it also, was. You know, I also think that there was some, there was way too much centralization in the premier's office, especially in the name of one particular person who was, you know, who was his chief of staff. And once that problem has been Resolved, I think that uh, Doug has grown very admirably into the job. You either grow into the job or you don't, and I think he's been extremely successful.
0: Well, some men are born great; others have greatness thrust upon them. Uh, I just made that up, by the way. Uh, <laughs> Dan Moulton, do you see this style of governance uh, having, you know, a lot of merit? Ernie obviously does, uh, being a consensus builder and collaborating and drawing everybody into your council, no matter their political stripe. Can that last, or I mean, do the knives come out when uh, the the largesse stops being dispensed?
5: Well, I think as elections approach, the collaborative uh, spirit with opposition tends to decline. But, you know, I'd say that what we're seeing here is uh, a premier that's responding to public sentiment, right? I think voters, more than anything, want to see governments uh, collaborating with one another, whether it be with the federal government and provincial governments, and and ideally, you know, opposition parties and, and governments doing the same. Uh, they want to see that kind of collaboration. They don't want the aggressive, negative style of politics. And so the premier saw the response that Ontarians were having to his style of governing in that first year, which was very adversarial between him and, and the opposition and, and the, the former uh, governments and, and certainly with municipal governments as well. His His attack on the municipal election process in 2018 is a great example of that. And voters responded very negatively. It was very unpopular at the time, and I think largely because uh, they didn't like what they were seeing. So I think what we're seeing is the Premier responding to that, responding to uh, the, the public sentiment that's looking for a bit more of a collaborative approach. And I, I think good on him. I hope it lasts.
0: So are, are you suggesting this can work in all quarters? Like Ernie, for example, uh, could Trump and Pelosi uh, mend fences here? <laughs>
5: I think we've I'm got to set me. our expectations a, so with the current president. <laughs>
0: well, you know, I mean, tonight uh, we've got the just vice few president. Few what was that? I said just a few more weeks. How practical is it that we're going to ban single-use plastics?
6: Well, you know, I support single, the ban of single-use plastics uh, just because I think they're wasteful. I think, you know, the people who are saying, I need my straw... You know, I think those people who suck need to learn how to sip. So, uh, you know, I think there's a bunch of things that we can do that are just unnecessary. <laughs> I thought you'd like that one. The, um, but I, I think one of the things that I that gave me, because I, when I saw this, I thought, is this the right time for this, right? Like with restaurants doing takeout and things. And one of the things that I read in there was where there's an alternative product or an alternative solution and i started thinking about it and i'm like yeah a lot of the takeout that we've been doing is now coming in paper bags the the containers are those paper ones that that they actually biodegrade so it's not even really about recycling uh, it is about waste reduction and i think we have to take positive steps on that and as long as they're doing it where it's not going to be jarring and you know i disagree that there hasn't been consultation they've been talking about this forever and they've, uh, you know, so I don't think that it's taking anybody by surprise. But where there's an alternative use or where it's just unnecessary, like the plastic ring around six packs, different things you can do without that. I'm all for it.
0: Well, plastic uh, cutlery, for example, are uh, you going to eat your uh, ramen noodles? Or you know, I guess you got to use the chopsticks. It would be heretical not to, but still in all uh, soup and, you know, the stuff that comes in those styrofoam containers. What are you going to use to eat that? you got to have a plastic spoon, No. Yeah, I got,
6: I've, I've got them with the with the biodegradable spoons. They're they're sort of like plastic, but they're a little different texture. But they're not plastic, and they work just fine.
0: Okay, so you eat fast before the thing degrades on you. Spill it all I eat down fast your lap
5: anyway. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right. Uh, on that note, by the way, uh, you know the old joke. What's that fly doing in my soup? Uh, The backstroke. Uh, What was that fly doing on Mike Pence's head last night? You know, I wasn't going to bring this up as a topic worthy of discussion, but Stephen Holliday, it seems like it's almost uh, distracted to the point that nobody actually saw anything or heard anything but were fixated on that fly. Uh, Did that somehow diminish whatever it was, I guess, that Pence was trying to impress upon the American public by way of uh, maybe, you know, uh, remediating the previous debate? Uh, How did you see that? I mean, did you get fixated on the fly in his head?
7: Boy, did I ever chuckle when I saw that and how it made headlines. I mean, look, one thing I've learned in politics is that as many people as there are in the audience or as many people that take away parts of the debate, there are people that will hang on every word and analyze everything. And there are people that will look at the color of the person's suit and say, I don't like that guy. Um, but yeah, I mean, the fly speaks to probably the level of distraction uh, by the population, uh, the depth of analysis that people are giving these types of debates, uh, and uh, it's actually kind of scary and sad that a fly grabbed headlines on this. When and really, the important discussion is the policies that are being pitched. Um, you know, and for that reason, I you know I worry about that election, uh, and and where people are, where their heads are at, and what they're putting as important issues forward.
0: Well, you're in the messaging game, Wills, as a a leading uh, Toronto Public Relations uh, agency. What what does that say? I mean, is there something that, you know, we ought to be concerned that people are more maybe fixated on those kinds of things now, certain superficialities? Or is it just the way it goes? I mean, uh, because you've got the proliferation of social media and memes and so on.
6: Well, I I think there's a couple of things. You know, first of all, it was a vice presidential debate. Nobody really cares, right? Like, it doesn't get the attention. It's not... uh, uh, you know, looked at as important. But I think the second thing, and, you know, this is a little bit of fun, that was clearly a Republican fly because it distracted away from Mike Pence, absolutely rude and disrespectful behavior to the two women that he was sharing uh, the stage with. And I think that that really changed things. I was watching it, you know, just sort of like, you know, he interrupted, he went over his time, he ignored the moderator. And then all of a sudden I'm watching on Twitter, people are doing talking about all of that and, you know, Granted, I have a bit of a lefty field. Oh, yeah. But then all of a sudden, the fly Ooh. distracted from that, and I thought, oh, that was a brilliant strategy by the Republican Party to throw mm. send, send in the fly and change the narrative.
0: You know, it's and interesting throw- that... Well, it was a draw. Well, that was your take, eh? Uh, because some people, also on social media, I guess, coming from the right or the center, whatever, were uh, equally turned off by kind of the smarminess of Kamala Harris. Uh, Stephen Holliday. I mean, I, it's obviously very subjective in perception and who took away what, uh, because that's the counterpoint to what Will's just told us about everybody thought that the Pence was rude. When you said that, I mean, boy, that didn't register for me. But still, how did you see it, Stephen?
7: Well, I just. I just look back at because I you know I saw clips of this but I just look back at you know how you read the debate along with the commentary that goes with it it's just like reading uh, articles in the newspaper that are published online and then you look at the comments and the reaction and it's uh, it, it's it's shocking how people just Take away from the debate and they change it into a completely different analysis. And and I think you're right. Your point is well taken that the politics will prevail and people will see it the way that they want because they're predisposed to see what they want.
0: There are some people who have prospered and others not. Uh, I know that this has been a big sticking point, Jasmine, that, you know, whereas the mom and pop operation on Main Street is taking the hit, they've got to close down. Places like Walmart and Costco stay in operation because in the Walmart's case, you know, uh, they were also a pharmacy under one roof and uh, other essentials like groceries. So they get to stay open. People may go and bag some groceries there, but at the same time, they're buying diapers and household goods and so on and so forth. Is that not a disparity that needs to be closed or addressed? Because uh, there are a lot of people who think that there are really uh, sort of a a two-tiered system of affecting closures.
8: We have a situation here where it's not a marketplace that's fair and open and everyone's able to engage equally. That's not the marketplace we're in. Uh, we're in a marketplace where the largest companies, so let's just say the Walmarts of the world, are able to invest in the effective PPE. They're able to invest in the effective technology to mitigate against COVID risk. They're able to do more to stay open. They're able to hold and, and hold and carry costs in a way Uh, that small businesses just can't do. And there's no way for a small business to compete at that level. uh, Just from, like, the bare necessities required to remain open uh, under public health guidelines. It's not an equal playing field. Uh, It's, you know, it's it's even worse than it's ever been. And it's all due to a, well, what will be maybe in the grand scheme of, like, human history, a flash in the pan pandemic moment. Uh, And so for the businesses that are suffering, uh, it's not fair to them and more has to be done to protect them. And the businesses that are succeeding uh, for a lot of cases, it's the Walmarts of the world is because they're large mega businesses that are able to carry and take the hits in a way that no one else can. Uh, And if we want to see, you know, small businesses, you know, good quality kind of main street uh, workplaces survive this thing, it requires help. Uh, And it's just it's as simple as that.
0: Well, all right. If part of that help, though, is to uh, make sure that Walmart and Costco don't prosper, at, uh, I guess, by victimizing these other stores or at their uh, peril. John, is there anything to uh, recommend leveling the playing field? How would you go about that?
9: Well, you're not going to level the playing field um, between Costco and, and the local hardware store down the street. They sell, that their market is different, they sell different things. Uh, it's a different value proposition, and when you, you have people saying, you know, you've got to level the playing field, well, that's, that's just, they're not on the same playing field. They, again, have different clients. I mean, definitely, you know, I support the government helping out small business with their rent, but you don't start going to big companies that, that serve a, a much broader market, have scale, and have a balance sheet. And you start saying to them, we're going to, you know, it's been great. You've been such a success. We're going to start, you know, grabbing some of that success and taking it from you and distributing it, you know, to, to others who haven't been as successful. I mean, that's just, this is not, um, at this time in our economy, we cannot afford to start beating up the winners who are creating jobs. I mean, look, we, we see Amazon. We had a recent uh, announcement they're creating thousands of more jobs in Canada. Walmart is apparently hiring thousands of more people in Canada. Are you going to say to these companies, hey, we don't want those jobs? Uh, we don't want you to hire people? All we're going to do is raid your balance sheet and grab your cash. No, we don't want to say that.
0: As a matter of fact, I think 10,000 was the number Walmart in Canada is planning to hire uh, because again, things are really looking uh, tickety-boo for them. Uh, In the few moments that I have remaining, I'm kind of curious to run this one by you. Saturday Night Live, uh, tomorrow night, the musical guest is going to be Jack White. He's a last-minute replacement for a country western singer who was pictured partying after a football game in Alabama without a mask and not social distancing. And I just wondered about the implications of that, Jasquin. I mean, if something surfaced where uh, an employee of a company was seen to be breaking best health practices or protocols, you think that uh should lead to censure at the company level or even a firing offense do you think that translates over into the workplace
8: i think I, you know saturday Alive has every right to invite whoever they want on the show and uh it, it's not a it's not an issue of censoring it's saturday Alive's the platform they can invite any guest that they want uh but I, I think it's a really interesting point in that uh there's certain social cues and social norms that are kind of being formulated around this thing Uh, And for folks that who, like, you know, push aside or don't care about, you know, the very basic level public health recommendations, and that too because you wanted to go partying, Um, so like the the public good, and social uh, benefit of you not following the rules is not even there. Uh, You know, I I think you will see more of this, and I think you'll see more of it from like the Saturday Lights of the World who... And companies uh, that want to portray a certain image will back off from folks that are just not following social norms. It's, it's always been like this.
0: I just wonder if maybe a more effective and impactful thing would be for the guest to come on and apologize publicly in front of that broader audience. And uh, but they've decided, you know, he's now persona non grata. They've replaced him. Uh, if, if it has implications for workplaces and things like that, that makes sense to you, John Turley-Ewart? If somebody sees a posting on Facebook or wherever where you're not doing the right kinds of health practices and the company hauls you onto the carpet, uh, you think that makes sense?
9: Well, in the case of Morgan Wallen, whose music I love, by the way, um, I mean, not only was he not social distancing, uh, if you saw the video, it looked like he wasn't practicing safe sex. I mean, like (laughs) it it was unbelievable um, what he was up to. And the the folks at SNL are right to say, look, you know, we don't know if you've got COVID or not, and we can't bring you into our bubble uh, when you clearly haven't been respecting the rules. And I think any workplace... Uh, would do that if they had the sense that someone endangered the health of their workers. So I think businesses, SNL, others are correct to say, we expect people to social distance and to respect the rules to protect everyone from COVID.
0: Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.